The holiday season has passed, and the spring semester is finally on at OUAZ. This means all 26 sports in just a four-month span, and you can get all of the best stories from every program right here on the OUAZ Athletics Podcast. Every new episode will be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the official athletics website at OUAZSpirit.com podcasts. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe so you never miss the latest episode of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast. Welcome in OUAZ Spirit fans. My name is Seth Athelson, and before we get started here on the first edition of the OUAZ Podcast of 2021, I just want to say Happy New Year. Hopefully everybody was safe throughout the holiday season and looking forward to get underway and, and get athletics going. And I know one man who's ready to not only get athletics going and his sport going, but really to get his head coaching career going is Dion Thomas, the new interim head coach of women's basketball. Dion, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're uh, really looking forward to not only what you can do on the court, but uh, you're pretty, uh, pretty good guy yourself, pretty good uh, talking. Um, I know you probably sparked some discussion between you and the men's basketball team with the GOAT donning the LeBron James jersey that sits in your <laughs> office, I know. GOAT James. I know Adam Hepker had uh, some differing opinions on who the GOAT was <laughs> earlier on this podcast uh, back in the summer, but um, I guess we'll start there. Why do you think LeBron James is the GOAT? Uh, I wouldn't say he's the GOAT per se. I'm a huge Kobe and Michael guy, but right now he we haven't seen anyone surpass their expectations. If you go back and look about what they were saying about LeBron James while he was in high school, he surpassed everything they were going to say about him, and that's hard. you got to think about Jordan. They didn't know Jordan was going to be as great as he was. That's why he was a number three draft pick, not number one. Uh, so LeBron James, to do what he does at his age every single night, he rarely ever is hurt. Uh, I, I would put him in a GOAT category for that reason, but completely different than uh, Kobe and Mike with shot ability and different things like that. They just had a different type of killer instinct. But in this generation, LeBron James is the GOAT for sure. Oh, absolutely. And when it comes to, um, as you said, what he's doing now, I mean, not only surpassed the expectations, but you look at that draft class, right? D-Wade, Carmelo Anthony, those guys were great NBA players. I don't want to pretend like they weren't. But, you know, D-Wade retires a couple of years back. You know, Carmelo wasn't having the greatest of seasons the last two or three years, and LeBron's still the best player in the world Hands at down. his age and, and from his draft class. And, again, I, those are – Maybe some of the greatest basketball players I ever play in, in Mello and with D Wade, but just right. incredible what he's doing now. And uh, for you, you're being asked uh, to do a pretty incredible job on on such short notice. Name the interim head coach of uh, women's basketball prior to the new year. Uh, you were the assistant coach to start the year, and obviously, you know you only play the one game against ACU, but um, never normal circumstances. But when you first came to OUAZ, what did you think? the end goal was I mean obviously I don't think you thought you'd be head coach within the first few months but I mean was this a stepping stone to a head coaching job was this hey let me get my feet wet in coaching I mean you coached back in Chicago but in terms of was this gonna be like a let me see if I really like doing this type job I mean what what were you expecting when you first came to OUAZ uh it's truly blessed with the opportunity to come to OUAZ uh coach Moss gave me an opportunity to be an assistant I knew I wanted to be a career coach from my freshman year of college. So my wife, uh, she got an opportunity at Grand Canyon. So I dropped everything and I 
per, let her pursue her dreams of being a Division One coach. So, I, like I said, I got truly blessed for finding Ottawa because at first I, I actually, believe it or not, reached out to Rusty Rogers, our Arizona Christian. He coached at Concordia Chicago, and I coached at Benedictine, so I knew him already. Uh, he told me I can be his volunteer assistant. Then Grand Canyon was actually looking for a game, or Ottawa was looking for a game, and they called Grand Canyon. So Moss talked to Buck Shields, who was on their staff, and he was like, hey, are you looking for an assistant? And that's how I got brought up. So it was just right place, right time. But me coming here to Ottawa is just continue building my coaching career, uh, looking to learn from someone new, being in the area, new to Arizona, uh, looking to make connections through Coach Moss and everyone I meet here. So uh, I didn't think I would be a head coach, not in the first few weeks or first few months or anything like that of being in Arizona. So, again, blessed for the opportunity. I'm super excited. Yeah, and uh, you played your first game against Arizona Christian. I mean, obviously, you, you know, they kind of keep tabs of what's going on, right? I mean, you know, coaching changes, anything that happens in your conference. And what did uh, – did Rusty Rogers have anything to say to you um, after that first game? I mean, again, obviously, you know, he could have had you as a volunteer assistant. You know, that was his best offer. But now you're trolling the sidelines as a head <laughs> coach. I mean, what did, did he give you any words of – most encouragement or you know advice in that little time that you can really right say right. To, you know post game well I mean before the game he came over to me he was like my how the tables have turned you're almost my a part-time or my volunteer assistant now you're head coaching I was like look how God works so then after the game he just said man that's a crazy first game uh or crazy first time for one head coach in first game, you guys battled, you competed. They had us down 11. He said, I thought we were going to put you away early. You, you, your girls played so hard. So uh, that was just encouraging in itself uh, that they played, I think it was like four or five games at the time. And knowing that Crosstown rivalry is big, they got one of our players from last year, Kirsten. So they knew the girls were going to be fired up. And the fact that we battled back and he said, that was a heck of a game. Uh, keep doing what you're doing with the girls. Just like it made me feel good, gave me some encouragement because, again, a lot of teams – they're not playing their crosstown rivals their first game of the year. We're, I mean, we're not Duke and Kentucky, and those guys go play a number one team in the nation right away. Uh, so the fact that we were able to, one, get a game, and two, that he was willing to accept the game on short notice, he texts me like, congratulations, and I text him back, let's play. <laughs> and that's how that game kind of happened. So uh, I'm truly blessed for the connection I have with Coach Rogers, and I was excited to play him, and I appreciate his kind words after the game. Yeah, and it's one of those games, like you said, usually you don't open up against your crosstown rival. I mean, really outside of a kind of an ugly possession in the final two, three, or four minutes where I think on my count there was eight or nine offensive rebounds. Yeah. I mean, really that game is a lot different, right? So, I mean, for a first game, and they talk about, I think, with new head coaches, and maybe it gets talked a little bit too much at the college level that, oh, these aren't this coach's players, right? Oh, he didn't recruit these guys or these girls and um for you i mean obviously you came from chicago you probably had no idea who any of these girls were until you stepped in the gym as a head coach how do you earn that respect when not only you don't really know these girls your first time as an assistant coach coming from the midwest and now all of a sudden you're a brand new head coach with all these players you don't really know you know other than being in practice with them how were you able to kind of gain that trust? And what do you have to do in order to gain kind of the trust and the respect that now you're the head coach and, and you're going to be trying to guide this team into hopefully a lot of postseason success this year? Uh, I think my transition was pretty easy. We were doing a lot of uh, academic meetings and things off the court already. So I was sitting, in, uh, sitting down 
one-on-one with the players, getting to know them as a person. So when you know someone cares about you and they have your back and your best interest at heart outside of basketball, when we're on the court, it's just as easy. Because if I get on you about something, you truly know I care about you. It's not just I'm looking at Bryn the basketball player. I'm looking at Bryn the person. Like I understand that they have off-the-court issues we've talked about, and we talked about academics and different things like that. So really getting them to believe that I like them as a person or care about them as a person, it made the transition on basketball-wise so much easier because they knew I cared. So when I'm on the floor and I'm fussing and different things like that, they know, okay, coach just wants the best of us. And I was like, I'm going to coach until until I can't anymore. I, I think you're all capable and willing to be better than what you are or, you are or were. Uh, and I think everyone's on our team, including our best player. Their best basketball is yet to come. So when I tell them things like that and I, I'm like, I'm trying to force you to be a better basketball player, I, I think they truly believe that I believe in them, so they work a little harder for me. So it's been a, a pretty smooth transition. Uh, the the buy-in is there. Uh, it took a little longer than expected, but I feel like you normally practice for a game, and we've only played one game, and we've been practicing since September or August or whatever you want to say. Uh, so it took a little longer for them to trust, but at, at the end of that Arizona Christian game, you could see them truly buying into the defensive concepts and different things like that outside of that stretch of those eight offensive rebounds we gave up. Uh, I felt like the buy-in was there, the trust was there, they believed in what we were doing, and, and they saw some some glimpses of light that we can be successful playing this style of play. Yeah, and it can be tough, I think, on one hand, right? You came into a program where a lot of freshmen, a lot of newcomers, you know, whether it be coming from high school or coming from JUCO, um, how has that been trying to coach a lot of players who haven't really played at the NAI level, right? I mean, JUCO helps in terms of college experience, but you see not even every JUCO player makes it out to play even NAI. Right. Um, what is that like, and, and what is that process of trying to get those kids to not only buy into what you're trying to do, you know, offensively, defensively, run the sets. I was in practice earlier, and you stopped an entire scrimmage just to pull them in and say, hey, stop throwing up shots and, like, run the offense. And what is that like trying to get a lot of new faces and a lot of inexperience to – run that kind of stuff uh i feel like it's been it's been pretty challenging but uh again they're 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 trying to buy in so what they're doing is they're doing great things and a lot of it is building confidence and it's not really taking anything away from them like so if i have a freshman pull up a fast break three uh i, I won't say don't shoot that shot was that the best shot we could have got in that possession so asking them questions to b- believe or to to expand their basketball IQ, to get them thinking the game. So when they see when we come to the game, like, I can get the shot whenever I want. The coach knows I want – he knows I want the, an extra pass to get back for this shot. We're going to go inside out or, or different things like that. So it's been challenging because it's hard to simulate a game with a ton of freshmen that never played at that level. And same with the Juco players. So we did have – or we do have five returners. Uh, so they helped a great deal uh, with simulating pace. And not only is it a transition going from NAI or – high school juco to nai our league that we're playing in is crazy with uh vanguard masters and even william jessup and all these schools that are just extremely talented they've always been ranked or competing to be to win a national championship so uh it's one thing to teach them like this is what's going to take to be successful but to be at the top end of the success you have to be able to do this on a night in and night basis and i feel like that's the part we're still struggling with being so young and everyone being new and the fact that we haven't played many games so uh, I feel like we're doing better simulating the pace. And I feel like that was a part of our hiccup against Arizona Christian that first quarter. Coach, this is nothing like practice. 
yeah, exactly. We got to go harder in practice because it needs to be harder in practice than the games. So I feel like this past, uh, since we came back from Christmas break, all of our practices have been way more challenging and competitive than they were before break because before break it was we had that game, then we broke after that. So uh, it's been challenging, but I think they're doing well. I think the adjustment is there. I'm super excited to get on the court next week so they can see like everything that we've been working on will pay off and like we're used to this pace now and we need to maintain this pace. So now this is your, from what I'm seeing, this is your first time as a head coach in college, right? And um, what were you expecting as a head coach? I mean, obviously as an assistant, you'll see different head coaches run their programs differently. Um, you were a recruiting coordinator back at Roosevelt University in Chicago. Um, but what has been different as a head coach, maybe outside the obvious, right? Like, oh, you're in charge of the whole program and maybe some more disciplinary stuff on your end. But what are some of the things that people might not be able to pull off the top of their heads when it comes to being a head coach? Uh, the, the major difference, like you said, I mean, you move that one seat over to your, your right or your left, depending on your bench, and all the responsibility and everything falls on you. So uh, I think it's extremely challenging for interim head coaches to take over in the middle of a season. Like if you get named the interim and you have a summer to prepare and put in your stuff. Uh, so a lot of it is making adjustments on the fly that you weren't prepared to make because you're an assistant and you're, you're an ideal man at that point. But I can give Coach Moss 20 ideals and he doesn't have to take any of them. Now I'm looking for someone to give me ideals so I can bounce to see what's going to work off. So that's a huge thing that people kind of take for granted that everything gets ran past the head coach. Like, no matter what happens, or if there's 20 girls on the team, all of them have to talk to me at some point. All the assistants have to come talk to me. So there's way more on your plate. Assistant, yeah, you handle them. You handle all the, the players and different things like that, but you're not the final decision maker. So, uh, and especially to take over like you did on such, like I did on such short notice, um, it, it made it a little challenging. But my expectation to become a head coach this year or just running a program is to get the kids to buy in defensively. Next year, we're going to change the offense slightly, uh, different things like that. But if I can teach them defense now and make us – if we have to have a culture or an identity, if it's a defensive culture, I think we'll be successful because there's plenty of teams that can score the ball, but not a lot of teams are buying into, like, we're going to stop teams from scoring the ball. And that's what I, I want and I've been preaching so far uh, my first couple months as a head coach. Well, I'm sure the uh, the men's basketball coaches can – feel feel the same way and feel the sympathies and that's probably the guys you could bounce ideas off of they they can score the ball but i know a lot of times that they're they're asking about defense for from their guys so yeah oh. why do you think and maybe maybe it's been this way i mean i mean you can see the way i look i've never played a game of competitive basketball in my life um but it seems like at least just in terms of the way basketball is thought, maybe a little bit more of a, a perimeter game, right? I mean, you've seen guys like Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson, just, you know, Damian Lillard just throwing up three-point shots from the logo, and it's normal now, right? right? Like, that's not insane anymore. Do you think that with kind of the evolution of basketball from the top down, um, that it's kind of changed the mentality and the mindset of these younger basketball players when it comes to defense? hundred percent. That's not something that's praised anymore. Like no one's talking about, th there's no like Dennis Rotman. Remember there was like Kobe stoppers when we were growing up. Like someone like they lab labeled a man a Kobe stopper because Kobe was offense and this person was able to try to contain him as best he can. So uh, I, I don't think people get enough praise for defense and different things like that, that they used to. When I played as a player, 
I love defense. My favorite thing was blocking shots, like diving for loose balls. Like you're gonna know, you're gonna feel my presence defensively. I'm guarding your best player, 94 feet, and I want to make everything as challenging. I took pride in my defense. I hated getting scored on. I was mad if someone scored on me, and it fired me up. And I don't think people take pride in their defense uh, anymore. But that's why I love watching like West Virginia's men. They're playing 94, 94 feet of man to man, and Bob and their Huggins practice. If they mess up. They're on a treadmill. They have to run 21 miles an hour on the sideline during the practice. Like, watch some of his interviews. It's crazy. They're buying defensively. So that's why night in and night out basis, when you see press, press Genia, like that's what they're doing. They're picking up full court man-to-man. Uh, I love defensive schemes. Uh, and when I played in college, our my head coach always said, Don Claus at College of DuPage, he always said, uh, defense is like a pitcher's pitch. You should always be able to throw something different at someone. So we were able to go through a 1-3-1, a 1-3-1 matchup, man-to-man, 2-3 matchup, full court, boxing one. Like we had a million defensive, and we, we went to the national tournament because of because we had high IQ basketball players that bought in defensively. We're going to score the ball. Everyone's going to score the ball. If I told you to go in the gym right now, what are you going to do? You're going to pick up the ball and shoot. So that's what everyone does, practice catch and shoot. So we're going to practice closing out to a person so they have to dribble the ball. Like, you know what I mean? So that's what we're preaching defensively. We want everyone to drive into our help because everyone's going to get in the gym. They're going to get up 500 threes. But no one's going to get in their gym, shot fake, one dribble, pull back, like, and all this other stuff outside of the D- Division One and the pros. So at our level, that's not common. Everyone's dangerous as a standstill shooter because of Steph Curry and all these people. Who are not saying Steph Curry's a standstill shooter, but uh, that's what they're practicing because that's what they see. They're seeing people shooting 43s a game, and uh, the Bucks just beat the NBA record most threes in a game. So different things like that. So uh, because everyone's praising offensive games like a James Harden and a Steph Curry and a KD. They ne- they're never talking about their defense. The two-way players are different things like that. It's kind of frowned upon. But even at the D1 level, right now they're looking for three and D players, people that can shoot the ball and play defense. So, But it's still not praised as the person that can go out and give you 30 every single night. So, Yeah, I remember, you know, as you said, like kind of in our generation, I guess, not that we're very old guys to begin with, but like you said the Kobe stoppers. I mean, I remember – the NBA Finals when it was the Pistons and the Lakers back in the mid 2000s. I mean, if a game hit 90 points, like you were shocked. Yeah, you're, <laughs> like, you're like going to Vegas and slamming the over for the next game. Where now, a playoff game hitting 130, you're just kind of like, well, okay, it's normal. basketball, right? Yeah. Like, and, and I think, I mean, adding the three, obviously, simple math here, three is worth more than two. So as mm-hmm. you're knocking those down, it, it adds to that score, but just very different. And I think that's an interesting way to think about basketball too, right? Like, how do you practice defense? in the gym by yourself. Like you said, wh- what do you do when you go into a gym? Yeah, yeah. you grab a you ball, you grab shoot. shoot threes. Yeah. yeah, you're not, you know, shuffling side to side or, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And even offensively, like you said, shot fake, dribbling the ball, like it's it's all pick up the basketball and shoot. So um, in your days, in your playing days, you said a little bit earlier that, you know, you knew you wanted to be a career coach in, in your first year of college. Was there a specific – moment whether it be like in practice or with your coaches where you kind of came to that realization like hey this is I like basketball and I think I like it a little bit more than just playing the game oh I was in intro to physical education and my intro to physical education teacher talked me out of being a gym teacher so I was talking to my college basketball coach again I went to community college first so Don Claus he was like Dion you see the game differently you should try to coach so I, I thought about it and my buddy Wesley Love came to me. He was like, hey, Tikas is starting an AAU program called Illinois Speed. Like, he's expanding it. He wants you to coach. So then I got my first coaching opportunity. Right, Like, this all happened within, like, two weeks. So now I'm a head coach of, like, this little fifth-grade team. Uh, and from that moment, like, the first 
two tournaments, it was rough. It was brutal. The parents didn't like me because I'm I kind of coach the same way. I'm not very loud. I'm not very vocal. I'm not screaming on you or anything like that. So they didn't think I was tough enough on those kids. So after those first three tournaments, we didn't lose another game until we went to the national tournament, which was in the Cocoa Beach, Florida at the time. So like to see that success and those impact it had on those guys and those guys that were fifth graders then are now in college. So one's actually the starting point guy at the University of Michigan, Mike Smith. He just transferred from Columbia. One's a running back at Louisville. One's a quarterback at Northern Iowa. So to see these kids, like what they are now, and me having an impact on those lives, one of them, who was the probably the most talented kid at the time, he ended up playing NAI basketball or football at St. X. He's pre-med. I met, remember benching him as a fifth grader for having bad grades, and now he's pre-med. So the, to see that instant impact on these kids' lives, it's crazy. I still talk to all their parents. I talk to the kids, like – Little Mike, they played Minnesota the other day. Texted me before the game, like different things like that. So it, it's just the impact that Coach Claus had on my life, and I knew I wanted to impact players like that. So that's right, right away. So like, was that four from the decided not to be a gym teacher within six weeks? I had my first uh, AAU championship, and I was hooked. Well, as they say, kind of winning cures everything, right? And I'm sure if, uh, <laughs> after those first couple of games that the national championship was uh, was a nice uh, treat and, and nice medication to maybe oh, yeah. cure some of those woes. But I think it's interesting that you mentioned the parents, parents were kind of on your case, right? You're not screaming at the kids, which I think now it's a little bit different. You know, I mean, back in 2010, I think the mentality is starting to change just a little bit, but now it's – I think a lot of coaches are starting to understand that screaming and yelling just it doesn't work it, it doesn't work yep but i think there's a little bit of a transition in terms of the parents are on your case at the fifth grade level and you know maybe not parents as much at the college level but maybe disgruntled players you know we have really good and, and passionate fans here but they're not necessarily luckily on the coach's case a lot at least vocally but what did you learn from kind of the parents being on your case and in that situation to how do you handle maybe some detractors or some disgruntled kids, right? Like your roster is pretty large and as much as you'd love to play 20 kids in a rotation or 20 kids in the court at the same time, like you just, it's just not possible right. in a 40 minute stretch. What did you learn from that time? You know, when you first were coaching your AAU team to now and, and how you translate that into a college head coach? Uh, be confident in myself and my decision. Like, don't question it because someone else has. If I truly believe that we're going to run this three out or three out, two in motion and it's going to win, run that to the best of my ability. Coach hard. Coach every kid. Treat them all differently, but coach them all the same. Uh, so I feel like that truly helped me from way back then to now to truly believing in my basketball knowledge uh, that every, you're, you're not going to be able to please everybody. Everyone was the best player at their high school and they come to college and everyone now is just as good. Uh, and I, I truly believe that I do everything to the best of my ability and I'm trying to make everyone successful and everyone has an opportunity. But basketball is not an equal opportunity sport. So people will be disappointed or mad about playing time or whatever, like or I didn't call a time or I didn't put their daughter in or their son or whatever the case may be. So I just truly believe in that I'm doing the right thing and not second guessing it and just keep going for it because there's always going to be someone that's not happy with the decision you make, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah, well, I know if you bring home, uh, not to try to put any pressure, but if you bring home a nice shiny trophy to add to the front desk there, there won't be a lot of questions, at least from uh, the third floor here, I'll tell you <laughs> why. Um, but 
as you mentioned, a lot of those kids on that AAU team, you know, playing at Michigan, playing D1 football, and, you know, obviously probably having pro dreams, whether it be in football, basketball in Europe, things of that nature. I mean, when we talked to Natasa Radovich uh, back uh, a few months ago, I kind of asked her her goals, and she said, you know, she wants to play professionally. I mean, how do you as a coach, you know, the WNBA obviously is getting better in terms of the exposure and, and things of that nature, but still a really good opportunity for small college players to go play in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Europe obviously offers a lot more opportunities, but as a head coach, how are you going to be able to, and how do you see yourself being able to get some of your players who want to play pro into that circuit and, and getting them to chase their dreams once they leave here? Good question. So uh, it's actually a lot easier than people think. There's a lot of recruiters and coaches that reach out to me already, Viva LinkedIn, or uh, believe it or not, I have a lot of inter- Lithuanian and Serbian friends that actually play overseas. So they'll reach out to me asking, do I know any players? So maybe it's not a like, hey, I need someone on my second league and not their first league. But if you go there and you put up numbers, it's easy to move from spot to spot. Uh, and what they do is, like, maybe they're allowed only American on the team. So Natasha being an international player, they can take her right away. So it, it's different depending on the leagues and where they go. But it's a lot easier to you think to make connections, especially with, I mean, social media being so prevalent right now. Uh, a lot of these coaches and international teams are reaching out to us being proactive, looking for players. Like, hey, do you know anyone? Uh, but then again, like we'll use Natasha. I, I 100% think Natasha could be a pro. Uh, I, when I was at Roosevelt last year, we had some coaches reach out to me about some of our players. Said she's pro talent, but she doesn't have a pro work ethic. So I'll never put my name on the line for a kid that I don't believe will truly be successful at that level. And I'll tell the kids just that. Like this person from this country called me, but I told them, you don't do X, Y, and Z. So I don't think you'll you're not worth the money to them at this point. So you can fix it and I can call him back easily because he's going to trust me now that I just told him the truth about you. So if I call him back and she's changed everything, they'll, they'll give you a shot to go to Finland, Iceland, Greenland, whatever, uh, to try to be a, a professional athlete. Now, which level you land at, knowing that there's mostly three tiers or in Europe, that's up to you and your work ethic and what you put in. Or is, if you go over there and you produce, you're just going to keep moving up. You move up to that top level. WNBA is literally a call away. Yeah, and and when you look at kind of where women's basketball is professionally, I think the WNBA maybe isn't the top rung in terms of money, right? I mean, in Phoenix, it's been two great examples. Like the one year, I think it was about uh, six, seven years back, the Russian team that Diana Taurasi played for at the time literally paid her to not play in the WNBA. Mm -hmm. They said, man, we will pay you this extra money to not play. And she's like, yeah, okay. And, I mean, Brittany Griner, we've seen her kind of opt out a couple times as well. Um, Or, you know, when she's been injured towards the end of a year that maybe doesn't look as championship promising, will kind of save herself. And, and, you know, everybody makes the business decisions with their bodies, no matter what the fans or anybody else thinks. And, I mean, heck, if I had a chance to make more money overseas, yeah, I'd save my body too, right? Um, from what you see, I mean, obviously you never played in a women's professional league, but from what you know and the connections you have, what is the change in order for the professional leagues in not only the U.S. with the WNBA, maybe even in Canada or Mexico or a lot closer places so some of these girls here in the United States aren't, you know, traveling thousands of miles away just to try and chase a dream? The season has to get longer 
uh, the the guys playing 82 games, so the money is there because they have the TV contracts and different things like that. So people are paying to see them over a, a longer span of time. The WNBA season, I want to say, is like 27 games or something like that before playoffs, maybe 30. So they're getting a bulk of their money from, like, sponsorships, not actually, like, TV deals and different things like that. Like, individual players, like Skylar Diggins, she has a contract with Nike, so she's going to get paid. Uh, until it mirrors the NBA in a way, like, the, the money is just not there because – the fans and all those people that pay to, that will pay uh, for the NBA league pass won't pay to watch a WNBA game. So until uh, they can make it, I don't want to say fair, but the the season's longer because they're already boosting up the money. Like they just came to a, a renegotiation last year. So like the veteran minimum and the rookie minimum is literally double the amount they were able to make before. So they're already trending in the right direction. Uh, but I think their season needs to be a little bit longer for them to want to stay in the States because, like you said, they pay them so well to to not be here. It's hard for you to turn down, like, hey, I'm going to give you forty grand to come play for the Phoenix Sun or the Mercury, Phoenix Mercury, or I'm going to give you a hundred and twenty to come play a half a season in Italy. You're going to take that 120 to play half the amount of games that you're playing. Like, you know what I mean? So uh, it's kind of it's like that on the men's side, too. you got to think about how many people get drafted every year, how many people are in the G League. China will call a guy and I'll give you half the your full season amount to come play these last 10 games for us. So uh, it, it, they definitely need to do better at promoting and paying the players on the WNBA to get some of these players to just play a season here and not play try to play two seasons where you have to worry about the wear and tear on their bodies. Yeah, and again, you'd never think a world-class player like Diana Taurasi would, you know, almost the, the lights and the glitz and glamour of – maybe American professional sports, even even when it comes to the WNBA, which has been kind of unfortunately left in the dark up until the last year or two. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's like you said, when these countries are offering a lot more to play less games, I mean, mm-hmm. why would you say no? Right. So um, for you, though, I mean, you've been coaching a long time, obviously very successful at a lot of different <laughs> levels. Um, when you look here, I mean, you helped sign 16 kids to Roosevelt University before you came out here. I think the biggest one here, um, GPA, team GPA went from 2.4 to 3.1. Sheesh. Um, I mean, a, a huge jump in GPA. Um, you and I have been talking. I mean, you want to do something. I mean, maybe a little bit of a spoiler here, but got some good 4.0 kids as well. Um, so some news coming out on that relatively shortly. But as a head coach, how do you motivate kids in the classroom and, and get a GPA that was 2.4? I mean, isn't spectacular to 3.1, whereas a team, yeah, 3.1 is, is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so for Roosevelt, doing something very similar here at Ottawa. So it, it tends to work where we're doing study hall based off your GPA. So if you're killing the classroom, you don't need as much time. But what you're going to do is you're going to sign in and let me know what you're working on. You're going to turn in your cell phone so there's no that's social media distraction. Uh, and we're going to do weekly academic meetings. So not only are you doing the study hall, I physically know you're here because I can see you. I have your phone. Uh, you're, we're going to talk about what you've done this week. So, hey, I have no homework. That's what everyone says. I have no homework. Well, then I, I'm going to pull out my planner that we made because everyone makes a planner. Next week you have a test on Tuesday. If you have no homework, why aren't you studying for this test in chemistry? So it's getting them to – actually be like have everything laid out in front of them so when it's in front of you and the the crazy part is it's like I didn't know how well this was going to work it was kind of like I'm just going to try something because our GPA was so bad at Roosevelt the girls called me since I've been at at Ottawa asking for the same sheet because they liked it so much last year 
uh, the girls from Roosevelt. So uh, we didn't do it this first semester at Ottawa, but we're, we are doing the second semester where it's just literally a planner. It's a calendar I made. They'll write, they'll fill in all their information. They'll photocopy it. I'll have a copy. They'll have a copy. So when they sit down and we have their academic meeting, now I can ask you directly about intro to engineering. Like on Tuesday, you had a discussion board. Did you do it? On Thursday and Friday, you need to do two separate discussion board comments on someone else, one of your classmates. Did you do it? And I'm just checking off the things. So it's, they have all the support and they know someone knows exactly what they're doing. So either if you didn't do it and you lied to me, we're going to, we're going to run, <laughs> we're going to run about it. Or you did it and you did it to the level where you're going to get an A or B because if you're getting C's and D's in your school and you want to be, let's say you're pre-med and all you're getting is C's and D's and you finally graduate, they're not going to let you operate on anyone with C's and D's. Like I don't want someone that doesn't know anatomy doing my ACL surgery. So, uh, and I, I use that to the girls and they always joke, like, even if you're an engineer, they're not going to let you build anything if you only know half the stuff. So you need to be profound at whatever you, you choose to study this. You need to be profound at that. You need to know everything you need to know that you can know about this. Try to learn more about it. Get an A in it, get a B in it. If you get a B in it, let's review your last test, see how we could have gotten an A in it. So we do little things like that on a weekly basis with all the players. So we treat them all the same, 4.0 to a 2.0. We're going to treat you the same because we want... A C for me might be the best I could do, but a C for you, Seth, could be like you didn't even try. So I know I have to acknowledge that person that got a C. So I'm like, good job. Like, hey, we could have got a, more point, a couple more points if we did this. And that person that just didn't try and got a C, I got to get on their case a little bit. Just that's coaching everyone differently on and off the court. So we, we praise them for doing the best they can. Uh, if their best they can is a C, we're going to try to coach them to do a little better. So maybe that C becomes a B. Then now this B is their new level. Uh, of what, how they want to carry themselves. That's their new expectation. Like, you were a straight C student. Now we're at, we're getting Bs and Cs. Now we're just going to push you straight Bs. Like, you know what I mean? Now we're going to get one A and a couple of Bs. So, and it's always praising them for doing good because, hey, maybe I'm really bad at math. You have to take a math to graduate from college. So I'm going to push them to do their best and we're going to go over tests and different things like that. Then, hey, we pass with the C. I'm not going to get on you about that C because I know how hard it was for you to get that C. You actually tried. But you, on the other hand, you didn't even try and you got that C. You're not doing well. So I'm going to get on you. We're going to we're going to punish you for the C, but I'm going to praise someone else for that same C. So she's treating them differently, coaching them, pushing them. And the girls really responded well to that at, uh, at Roosevelt. Well, it's, it's just like basketball, right? I mean, if LeBron goes out and puts up eight points, then it's criticized, whereas mm -hmm. they pull the 12th man off the bench. He gets and he eight. puts up eight. And it's all over social media. Like, exactly. <laughs> shot lights out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So – um also i think uh <laughs> like when you said uh run about it yeah. when, maybe you have to pull one out of bob huggins playbook yeah, and get run a, about it yep get a treadmill out on the sidelines at 21 miles an hour yeah. um but your wife as you mentioned a couple times throughout this episode is an assistant at grand canyon university d1 what is it like to have a life partner and your wife emily who's a basketball coach i mean do you guys just talk basketball the whole time? How do you guys – and really, I mean, I think it's important to think, how are you able to separate kind of, you know, hey, you're both coaches, different levels, coaching women's basketball. How do you separate that when you guys get home? Uh, so the first part of that question, yeah, we talk basketball all the time. It's great. Uh, just to have someone that truly loves the game and understands the game. Because when you're a coach, everyone knows that huge time commitment. So – uh, your spouse not being that into what you do, it makes it extremely challenging. So the fact that we've both been or we both are career coaches and that's what we want to do, it makes it wonderful because we can sit down, we can watch basketball. 
we'll look at each other's game film. Like, hey, I'm about shoot, we're about to play Tarleton or something like that. They were supposed to play them. Their game just got canceled. So I'll watch film with her. Tell her what I see. Like, it's up to her if she chooses it. She knows we're about to play life. So when I start watching film, she's going to watch film on them with me because it's nice to have someone else's input that's been there, done that. Uh, how we kind of balance it all. There's certain points where we're like, we're not talking basketball now. Like, we, we have a son, so we're, with our son, we're not talking hoops or anything like that. We'll just spend family time. Let's go do this. Let's go for a walk. Let's just talk about anything else. How is your mom, your sister, my sister, what, whatever the family is. So there is a separation. Uh, last year, I was actually her assistant at Roosevelt University. So that, I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. Like, it's going to be with you all the time. But we left work at work. So, I mean, again, you have to recruit. To bring in 60 girls, we recruit when you're not at work. But outside of that, it's not like we were talking about the game and all this other stuff. Like, on our way to work, because we took the train in, we would talk basketball. On our way home, we talk, what's for dinner? What do you want to do? Like, maybe we mentioned practice, but we, we try to keep that, that fine line between that. So, we do good, uh, or we do that well now, too, where we'll talk work for a little bit. But after that initial conversation, we might bring it up one or two other times. But then we talk about everything else that's going on. Uh, there's plenty of things for us to be worried about as as new parents uh, rather than hoops. But crazy part is our son's only four months and he likes to watch basketball, too. So he'll go to our, our games, her games, our games. And she, he stays awake and he tries to watch them for as long as he can. And he goes to sleep, he wakes up and watches the rest of the game. So it's great that we're a basketball family and everyone and everyone loves it. That's good. You'll have yourself uh, an assistant coach in, in about 20 years. <laughs> right. Keep it rolling, right? I mean, you said first-time parents, young parents. I mean, hopefully you guys are still coaching. I mean, mm -hmm. your acumen, hopefully, fingers crossed, you're able to stay here for a long time. But probably wouldn't blame you if a D1 program came knocking on the door. I appreciate you, it. <laughs> try to make sure the front doors are locked to the Odell Center so they can't. <laughs> that's why they're always locked. It makes sense. That's right. Can't the, take our coaches. Turn the phones off, too. So, but – um, being from the Midwest, I mean, I think it's interesting, kind of what jumped out at me a little bit there was when you said we took the train into work. I've never once in my entire existence in Arizona have taken a train to work. Um, I've been to LA, I've been to Chicago once. I mean, I see how the public transportation works. Um, but I mean, that's just one of those big differences between Arizona and really some other major cities. When you first, you know, got off the plane and, and you guys are moving here, what was your first thoughts and, and kind of your first really experiences of Arizona and, and the differences between there and the Midwest? Uh, it was hot. <laughs> that was my first thought. First thought was hot. It was like 120 when we moved here. We moved here in July. Uh, major difference, it's always sunny. Like, you take that for granted. Like, Chicago, you, like, you get all the weather. It's sunny most of the time, but it's always sunny here. Like, I've been overcast, like, twice. It rained. It actually rained, rained once here. So, like, little things, like, miss the rain like so but uh public transportation there's like there's buses out here but if we wanted to go downtown jump on the the metro and go downtown then we could take the l from all the way to midway which is on the south side to all the way to o'hare which is the northeast side uh or we can take another metro all the way to andersonville where her parents live which is past wrigley field so if the white Sox and the cubs are your point of reference is like north and south so the public transportation is awesome out there Huge difference out here. Like, you're driving everywhere. Like, it's 30 minutes to get here from work or from home. Not a huge deal. Same 30 minutes would be like an hour plus traffic in Chicago. So, uh, those are the major differences. Like, public transportation is different. It's it's always sunny. It's beautiful out here. I, I love it out here. I didn't enjoy it. We went home for Christmas. It was uh, two degrees with the windshield our last day in Chicago. So, I was like, I can't wait to get back to Arizona. So, uh, it's just a different type of atmosphere, beauty, 
I, I really enjoyed out here my time in Arizona so far, and we haven't been here for very long. So I'm glad you mentioned uh, the, the two degrees, and you're a lot better than I am in terms of surviving that. I woke up this morning, and it was like 40 degrees outside, and I almost called you to tell you I wasn't coming in <laughs> for <laughs> practice. Um, but um, and, and the rain, I mean, just to that point, you know, it hardly rains here. Um, back when my truck was still working during that big rainstorm a few weeks back, uh, yeah, that's when I discovered my windshield wipers weren't working. Oh, that's so, tough. So that's that kind of goes to show, right, just how how sunny it is. Is like you never really think about it till mm-hmm. you're like, oh, yeah, the one day a year it rains. And then <laughs> right, right. So, um, well, we really appreciate you enjoying your time out here and, and accepting this position. I mean, kind of a whirlwind for you. Um, and, and really appreciate your time today as you guys kind of gear up. Uh, any final thoughts, any final words, whether it be for your family, for your players, uh, the fans, whoever it may be, just as we wrap it up today? Uh, I definitely appreciate the opportunity of being here at OUAZ. I appreciate all the players. Uh, it's been a, a crazy year for them with COVID, with the coaching change. Uh, I, I'm excited to coach you guys for the next few years and build some stability uh, on the women's basketball program. Three coaches in four years is tough, and I appreciate the buy-in. Uh, and for my family, I'm so excited that we moved out here and got these opportunities. I feel like God has truly blessed us, and everything's kind of fallen in a place where me just not knowing what to do next, uh, to being an assistant, to landing an interim head coaching job, and hopefully that turns into something more permanent towards the end of the season. So I'm just blessed and thankful for the opportunity. I appreciate you for taking the time out to to ask me to do the podcast and to interview me and and my players as well coming to practice this morning. We all appreciate you and what you do for us here at Ottawa. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Definitely appreciate your time. A great story. I mean, a lot of great stories around here at OUAZ, but yours, I mean, I remember when talking to you and you had said, yeah, I came out here just with my wife, just hoping to get something, and this is where we're at. So, uh, guy works in mysterious ways, right? That's right. It's been a, a <laughs> short journey, a quick journey, but uh, quickly getting to the goal you're looking for, at least in this point in your life. So, Dion, thank you so much again, and uh, looking forward to not only seeing you on the court, but talking to you again soon. All right, thank you.